traditional definitions of business, entrepreneurship, and success have historically been reserved for cishet white men, and home-based businesses are often run by the rest of us. Whether you're focused on finances, freedom, friendship, or fun within your business, you get to make the rules and define your own success. And that is feminist as fuck. Welcome to F-Words. I'm your host, life and business coach, Kelly Jackson. Okay, so today we have Laura back on the pod because, you know, it's just the best. Um, And a couple of weeks ago, actually, we have rescheduled this. We have also rescheduled brunch. We have rescheduled brunch so many fucking times in the last couple of months because of COVID. Everyone had COVID. (laughs) Ah! Um, But we have rescheduled this. And um, a couple of weeks ago, Laura texted me with some thoughts that she wanted to bring up on the pod at some point. And I was like, well, fuck, let's just let's just do that for our next conversation. And so we're here. And um, I want to, I want to actually just read this text message. Is that okay with you? Sure. Okay. So absolutely texted me on, we are recording this on September 9th, my brother's birthday. Um, And you texted me this on Saturday, August 27th. Um, So I had been posting about um, redefining success and part of that being why I have the deep-seated core belief that direct sales is feminist as fuck, which is very controversial. Um, I find that hilarious and also disturbing um, for many reasons. But anyway, what you said was, I'm feeling so many parallels to education particularly elementary education. And as a refresher for those of y'all who may not remember, Laura runs a kitchen in an elementary school. And so it also, and you also are PTA president, PTA, PTO. What is it at your PTA. school? PTA. PTA. And um, your kid is still in elementary school. So you've got a lot of elementary education stuff in your life. Um so you said, today I had a quick chat with one of our kindergarten teachers about how well her kiddos were doing handling lunch and picking food and such. She was so grateful as they are a very hard bunch in terms of understanding classroom decorum and staying seated when asked and such. I saw her gratitude as I told her and also her struggle as she is doing her best and truly redefining success on a weekly and probably daily basis when it comes to teaching in our current world, in addition to teaching a majority of English language learners and or bilingual students from multicultural homes. Um, I, God, that, I cannot imagine how difficult that must be. I cannot imagine for everyone involved, for parents, for the teachers, for you, for the administrators and for the students. And the idea of redefining success on a daily or weekly basis, of course, of course, because if there is some sort of like blanket across the board idea of what success looks like in a kindergarten classroom, that's not going to apply in most cases. 
but it's certainly not going to apply when you've got children who are have just gone through a global pandemic and that's basically all that they know of life. And they're in an educational institution speaking a language that is different from their own at home. Like that blows my mind. And I I have posted this um, and maybe talked about it on the podcast before, but I have a handful of coaching clients who do not speak English as their native language, some of whom do not live in the United States or an English-speaking country, so speaking English isn't part of their daily life, and yet they do coaching in English. I don't... (laughs) What? I don't know how that... I don't know how that works. I don't know how it works. It's so complex, and it's a beautiful thing to watch, and also... It humbles you because, you know, when I was in third grade, fourth grade, I had a really hard time speaking up for myself. That's when my anxiety really, um, you know, my anxiety disorder really started to like propel itself forward. And I would have a lot of um, different things that looking back now, I can see it was, you know, they were symptoms of my anxiety. And they were things that, you know, with my family, my parents and my teachers, we handled in different ways and, and I got through them. But I still had to find a way to advocate for myself in those situations. And it was very hard. But to also then be advocating when my primary language and how I express myself is not how most of my teachers understand. Like, it's the same thing with coaching. How? And I am so proud of our students, so many of our students, and how fast they learn and are willing to learn. I mean, we have amazing English language learner, you know, teachers that work with them and then all of the teachers in general as well. But I mean, just to come to lunch and be able to like not know what something is and we I I do my best. My Spanish is not amazing, but um to at least just explain what something is mm-hmm. and have them be like, "Okay, yeah, like I I get it. Yeah, leche, leche de chocolate. Yes, please. That's what I want." Um it's so hard to try and give them the comfort of what I want the students to have when they come in to give them lunch and breakfast. That's a comfort. I want to be that moment. Um, you know, and my staff and I work really hard to give them that moment of being a good feeling moment, but also helping them learn, helping them learn to communicate, um, make choices, give them that autonomy and all of that. And then to also have them do it when I don't know what this food is. First of all, it looks different. But I also don't know how to tell you this or not. And some of the students do so amazing at it. And so it is so humbling to listen to and to watch and to think about how much some people are willing to just be like, I don't have a choice. This is how I'm going to, this is what I have to do. And they, they redefine the success of a a student every day by doing that. Like to the fact that I don't care if they are struggling in, um, you know, having being able to write in print legibly or math or whatever but if they're able to start to communicate and advocate for themselves that is a huge win huge win and so i know for a lot of our students you know sometimes those are the wins that they're seeing before they're seeing the you know comprehension and the math skills and all of that stuff and you know, as there have been a lot of studies in the recent, what, decade or so about 
how some of those things are just as crucial in defining later in life, not just quote unquote success, but, you know, abilities as having the high test scores and all of that, you know, the social emotional learning is so crucial and so important. And it's a whole different level when it's a completely different culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I there are a couple of things that I want to pull out from what you just said that I think are applicable God, in so many ways. Um, you said something about the idea that the students are willing to learn. And obviously that's important. If you want to learn anything, you have to have a willingness to learn and a willingness to you know, go through the process of learning. However, a willingness to learn on its own is irrelevant if you don't have a supportive community that fosters that learning and sure. that allows you to learn the thing. And so the fact that you have, and I mean, maybe that's not true universally. Maybe there are people who can learn shit on their own. I'm not one of them. Like I need a community to thrive. Like I don't, I, I need to be able to ask questions and have people not go like dead stare at you. Like, yeah. you, shouldn't you know that, you know, like, exactly. I need to be like, yeah. Okay. Let me help you figure that out. Yeah. Like even the, like, I'm, I'm very much a self-starter. I'm very much a, um, an independent, like researcher, academically minded kind of person, but I still need that community in order to really thrive. And, um, the fact that your school offers that to these students, but more importantly, I think is that you offer that that moment of comfort and reprieve for them to have the small wins that aren't related to the education directly, I think is absolutely crucial. Because if all of the if all of the environments are about learning the things that will be graded instead of some of it being about things that feel good, that's that's not gonna that's not gonna take them as far but they have an opportunity to learn something in your, um, I wanted to say classroom, but in, in, in your place, in your space, that is going to serve them outside of getting a grade for it. And it's going to feel good to them. And that's, that's so powerful. Um, the other thing that you talked about was the idea of small wins. And God, that's that's a thing that too few people really notice in themselves. And we're so quick to disregard the small wins when really that's the shit that we need to be celebrating. Because yes. if you don't allow yourself to celebrate the small wins along the way, when you get to whatever the big shit is, you're not going to know how to do it. And you're going to just, oh, okay, well, I did that. Move on to the next goal. And it's yes. not going to provide any sort of emotional payoff, which is that's something, the only reason we do anything is for an emotional payoff. Right. And that's something that has been huge for me, even um, not just through, you know, with direct sales, going through our team and doing monthly recognition and all of this different stuff, even just little things. That was something that really helped it with me. But then once I started going through your actual coaching program, that was a huge thing um, for me to remember. Like, it's okay. Pull that out. Pull out that little tiny win from somewhere mm -hmm. um, about something. And through so through a learning process, 
you know, that is how you redefine success because yeah, maybe this is your goal. And, and when you talk, we talked a lot about it, this in our direct sales team, stair step goals, all this different stuff. Anybody who's done any form of like, um, leadership or anything training has had goals, trainings on different things. Mm-hmm. But even within a stair step goal, you have to adjust your stair steps at different times. And that is redefining itself step by step for success. Every step is still a successful step, even Mm -hmm. if you redefine throughout. And, you know, I even did this, you know, one of my staff members, I've been training her on learning like the money issues, the money stuff, not issues, but like stuff of our kitchen, which, um, allow me to hop on a soapbox real fast. I truly believe we need universal free breakfast and lunch in this country. And some school districts are able to do that depending on the community need around them. Our district is not. um, And about 80% of the students at my school qualify for free or reduced lunch. But that's still 20% of other students that while income wise or whatever, they don't qualify. That doesn't mean their families easily have you know, $80 a month for them to buy school lunch. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to me, but because we don't have universal preschool lunch this year, like we've had the last two years with different COVID um, waivers from the USDA, we have money coming in, students paying for lunches and that sort of thing. So I'm training a a staff member who's never had to do that before because it wasn't a thing when she, you know, started working in our kitchen. And it's, it's a lot to be like, I'm responsible for like the entire deposit. I mean, anybody who's had a retail job, you have your cash drawer and you're yeah. in charge of that cash drawer and whatever. And I had a job once where people were all like three people have to be in the office every time you're counting money. And they made this huge deal about it. Um, so it was making her, obviously it was making her very nervous because she was just like, I don't want to mess it up. I want to make sure I follow step by step by step. And I was like, every day, she'd say, okay, what's the next step? And I said, what do you think it might be? And she goes, I don't know, but I know that it's in there somewhere. Give me a second. And she would just sit there for a second and then she'd find it and be like, she's like, I got it. And I said, yes, you do. And she goes, I mean, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And I said, you're not only getting there, like you're actually doing it. You're just saying, this is the next step, right? And asking me and I'm saying, yes, if I wasn't here, you would just be like, this is the next step, right? And you would have to answer it yourself. Yeah, I guess it is. And you'd go forward. And guess what? If you messed up, you messed up. But like, you're actually doing it. I was like, so don't say, I mean, I'm getting there. You're there because that's one of the steps is you're able Uh to know there's another step, even if you're not sure what it is yet. That is a win. And she's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And so it was just so interesting to think about it from that perspective too of, celebrate all of those tiny little wins because anything when you're learning something new just knowing like which icon to click on the desktop of the computer that's a win mm-hmm. that's a win mm-hmm. and even if it takes you more than three or four times to do it it's still a win to know i gotta look for a icon which icon is it like all of those things and so many people say i'm sorry i'm not getting it yet i'm not getting it yet no yeah, and the no thing apologies. that keeps you from getting it is telling yourself that you're not fucking getting it yet. You're doing great. Keep, just try it and be like, okay, I'm learning. I'm yeah. learning. Perfect. And the ability to say and be vulnerable enough to tell someone you're learning is a thing that once again, I wish I could have done when I was in fourth grade. 
Mm-hmm. I wish I could have been like, okay, I'm, I'm learning. It's all right. I'm not getting it yet, but I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. My son recently finally mastered tying his shoes after kind of trying and then not wanting to try and being frustrated trying for like two and a half years. And I swear to God, part of this is our current culture in that shoes that don't tie are easily accessible, yeah, just as affordable and look just as cool that kids want them. So he's almost 10 and didn't have to have shoes that tied. Listen, I don't want shoes that tie my shoes that I like my athletic shoes. They do not tie. I just bought them. (laughs) Right. Well, and also it's annoying. Like it takes more time, but I was like, I was like, buddy, you've got to learn. And he gets, he would get so mad. He said, I know that you're so mad. I said, but you're literally doing something you have never done before. Give yourself a moment. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Don't beat yourself up about it because it's not helping you. That doesn't feel good. Just, just keep trying. Just keep trying. And I could see it in his face. And I also could see that when he did finally get it, even though he was frustrated and having that moment, I still was like, he is still light years ahead of where I was when I was that age and how crappy I felt about myself. And that is a huge testament to the work I've done with you. And so then the work my husband and I've been able to do with him to continue to be like, listen, we're learning. And also just the social emotional learning that is now being instilled in education, mm-hmm. you know, starting in the preschool levels. Um, it's a big, it's a big change. And it's so interesting to think about how that is going to shift who these people are God, I am when so they're 41. Yeah. Sitting here on a podcast, you know, and- like how different. I am so grateful that that kind of stuff is, though often with backlash, especially where we live, um, being integrated into education. I mean, God, if... Something that just popped up. Do you Mm -hmm. think part of that backlash is because, from some people's perspective, social emotional learning is feminist as fuck? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that has to be why there is so much pushback in some areas in some ways. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. They're so scared of that concept because that makes them, quote, soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And wimpy. Then- I won't say all of the other words that people use to yeah. for softer humans that have emotions, but right. uh, it does piss me off that I never even made that connection. And that's the perfect example of how ingrained some of these things are in our society that we don't question them and no, just full stop. No. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's in the fucking water. It's in the fucking water and in the air we breathe and in every garment we touch, like it is fucking everywhere. And in order to, I believe dismantle the, social structures, we have to do the work of dismantling it internally. And I don't think that that's ever going to fully happen for any of us, unless there's some sort of like enlightenment point that we reach. If so, excellent. I am not there or even close. (laughs) So I am still constantly working on dismantling the oppressive structures that I have internalized. And I think that's the work is internally dismantling all of that bullshit, really looking at it and scrutinizing it and saying, where did this come from? 
oh, it didn't come from me. It came from some sort of other bullshit outside of me. Oh, I didn't consent to carrying that bullshit around. Cool. I'm going to go ahead and let that go because it's not serving me or anybody else except the systems of oppression themselves. So let's just get rid of that. Let's do all the work to detangle it, decouple it from everything else and put something else in its place. Because once we do that internally, we can start to see things like, oh shit, social emotional learning. Of course people don't want that because they want to uphold the old systems. The old systems that fuck everybody. No. Yeah. And let's also highlight that when you're saying, and let's look at that, let's do the work, let's go through all that, that is sitting in a lot of yuck that you yeah. also have to allow yourself to sit in and call that a win too. Yeah. Sitting in that yuck, sitting in that, oh, it feels so gross to have that feel like I shouldn't have these feelings right now. Mm-hmm. That's a win. Doing that is a success in that moment for you. Like, don't the just be like, oh, to forget feel it. Discomfort, the willingness to feel discomfort, actually being willing to feel discomfort in order to create change. That is, that's everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. In anything you do. Yeah. And that is, was a really um, great path for me that I noticed, I started noticing, you know, in doing direct sales in doing not just like when I was first beginning leadership and you're like, would you like to do this training? And I'm like, uh, but I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. And you're like, well, you know how to do that thing and get, let me just tell you that a lot of other people don't. So like, just do that thing. Okay. All right. All right. Um, but letting yourself feel that discomfort of like, this is new, this is different. This is weird all so important and great lessons that then have carried over in so many ways, but particularly in parenting my child and, you know, helping him sit in that uncomfortableness. And by extension, you know, my husband and I both being very, we've both are very, it's very important for us that our child does not feel that he is having some of the same you know, internal struggles that, you know, my husband and I both had growing up because growing up is hard. And so we talk about it as much as possible. But in doing that, inadvertently, even if my sweet husband doesn't know, he is also doing that work then by extension because it's just happening. And then I see it in him and I'm like, I don't think he even realizes he's made that shift a little bit. And it looks so much more peaceful on him in this moment because of that shift as well. You know, he let himself be uncomfortable parenting because parenting's not easy. Um, and then it just kind of infiltrates into other areas of your life too. The more you get used to doing it, just like, you know, habits, the more you get used to closing the door after you, you know, go to the bathroom, the more you just shut the doors when you leave a room or what. I mean, it's just like one of those, those types of habits that move back into your subconscious and they become part of it. And that sitting in the yuck can slowly become that if you're willing mm-hmm. to let yourself try and know that it's not going to be easy to do it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be great at it. You're going to have to learn how to do it just like it all, everything else. And so many people are so unwilling to be uncomfortable. They think that any 
amount of discomfort means something has gone vastly awry that needs to be fixed and, you know, discomfort itself needs to be fixed and they just, you know, refuse. And that holds them back. It keeps them stagnant. It it makes them shrink. And that sucks for them. It also sucks for the rest of us. Like I, in fact, there are a couple of team members that we had who come to mind when I think of people who I really wish that I could have just reached into their brain and just like flipped a little switch, just like little toggle with their willingness to feel discomfort because there was so much shining inside of them just waiting to burst forth that they refused to ever allow to happen. Yeah. It's, it's hard too. It's hard for, it's hard to do that, but also not even um, the people who might be unwilling to like feel that discomfort. Um, But I just lost it. I had, a brilliant while you were saying that. And I was oh, like, no. oh, um, something about that though is not just feeling the discomfort, feeling that yuck and how it becomes easier and easier. Oh, I got back there. Thank you. Wheel. Um, it's <laughs> fun back around real fast. So also for some people, the idea of feeling discomfort feels so gross, but what they're feeling on a daily hourly minute basis also feels gross, but it's a gross they're used to. And that's what's also fascinating when you think about the fact that like maybe the discomfort you feel actually wouldn't feel as gross inside as what you're currently feeling. But what you're currently feeling is really gross, but it's your normal base, your quote unquote normal. Yeah. So this so get out of that normal, but it's still a shitty normal, but like this other thing's shitty, but like it's still shitty. So Yeah. What if that next shitty normal actually maybe could help you move into some other feelings that might not feel shitty all the time? Yeah. So I'm, I'm running a six week sales course, calling it a soiree right now. And, um, one of the members, I think it was, it was either yesterday or the day before posted a live video and she was, she was about to have a consult call and she's changing up her pricing so that it's more package-based and activity-based instead of based on time. And um, she was having like what looked like a panic attack. I don't know if she would call it that, but just like because she was live in the group, she just she went live because she needed to express some words and emotion and needed a place to for that to go. Um, and so she was describing the discomfort she felt with offering the new pricing structure to this potential client. Okay. She was like freaking out about it because, you know, from a million reasons. Um, But she was ultimately assuming that there was a magic price that she was going to offer that the person would be, that would like make that person happy. And since she couldn't figure out that price, she was like, nothing's going to be right, you know? So like having this big emotional experience over it. And I was watching this live and I, I coached her in the, in the comments below. And I said something about like, what, what is it that you're feeling? 
And, and she gave me some thoughts and I said, okay, but what is it that you're feeling? And then she gave me some more thoughts and I said, okay, but what's happening in your body? You said, this is discomfort. What is that discomfort? What does it feel like? And where do you feel it? And she said, it felt tight in her diaphragm. And I said, okay, tightness in your diaphragm. She gave some, some other sensations, but that was like the main one. Um, and I said, so tightness in your diaphragm, when you feel that, you feel the tightness start in your diaphragm. That is the discomfort that happens with this emotion. What do you make that mean? What are you afraid of when you feel that? And she said, well, I shouldn't feel that because if I feel it, then that means it's difficult to breathe. And if it's difficult to breathe, then I like this whole catastrophizing thing, which is what happens during a panic attack, right? And I said, okay, what you're afraid of is that you're going to stop breathing. And I want you to go back, watch yourself in this live and look at how much time you spend holding your breath. Because it's the resistance to feeling that discomfort that causes fear on top of it. It's the fear that causes her to hold her breath and create the thing that she's afraid of happening. Yes. It's and essentially a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And she was just like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. And she's she's a graduate of the Pressure Point Coaching Program, the year-long program. Um, and she was like, okay, this is so interesting because, of course, we know that it's our thoughts that ultimately create our experiences, the way in which we experience the facts of our lives. So... This is so interesting, though, because this is like a physical manifestation of that that I've never noticed before. And it's just so interesting to consider all of like all of us do this in myriad ways. What are the ways in which I am resisting discomfort? I'm afraid of feeling discomfort. So I pile fear on top of that or I pile frustration on top of that or whatever else, how does that manifest in my body? Because if what I'm afraid of is that I'm going to stop breathing, if that's the ultimate like catastrophizing end is that I stop breathing, I asphyxiate. And what I'm doing is holding my breath. I'm creating that thing that I'm afraid of for myself in this moment. And that just makes everything so much worse. Everything. When we're willing to feel discomfort, then, you know, I ask like, what, what is it that you notice at, like, as we went on through the coaching, what is it that you notice this particular tightness in your diaphragm feeling like now? And because this was just a few minutes after her life ended that I, I caught it. I caught the video and watched it and was coaching her in it. Um, and she said, well, now... It just feels more like a tingle. It doesn't even feel like tightness. And so it wasn't even really that tightness was the foundational physiological sensation. It was a tingle. And then she constricted around that. And then she held her breath. And it just calls up the idea that something mildly I don't even want to, I don't even want to necessarily say uncomfortable, but I don't, I don't have another word to put there. Mildly uncomfortable. We then 
constrict around that because we don't want to feel it. We're afraid of it. And then we pile so much shit on top of it. If we were just willing to feel that mild discomfort, that tingle, then we wouldn't create the tightness around it. We wouldn't create all of the constriction. We wouldn't amplify it so much for ourselves. And the fact that fucking kindergartners are learning this shit, in my mind, means that the world is about to change in some really fucking big ways. And I'm so delighted by that. So delighted. That's what I think, too. And I keep coming back to it. And I know I'm in a very unique position right now in that I have a child who is, oh, I guess we would say almost a preteen. I don't know when that happens. No, you hate it. I don't know (laughs) technically when that happens, but I would guess that within the next year he would be considered a preteen. That's so weird. I can't even right now thinking about that. So yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, you know, I'm in my forties. Like that also is a very specific feeling time for people oh apparently siri thought i was asking her a question about being in my 40s because she just goes that's an interesting question (laughs) it is and i would like an answer to it because it is a very specific time in a lot of different ways but i just keep thinking that our world in terms of children and the next generation just feels so new and bizarre to me yeah but like this might be, it might be normal for each generation to feel like what's like, maybe my mom felt the same way when I was, you know, in fourth grade. I don't know, but it feels very specific to our time and the pandemic and our culture, our political shifts, our political landscape, what's happening in the world. I mean, looking at just the response in the last 24 hours since the queen died, I mean, like that alone that all feels very, very specific, but also like a very big thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was the same way 40 years ago. I don't know because I wasn't there. Right. But it really does feel bigger. It feels like a bigger step. I think so too. And obviously I also wasn't there. (laughs) Um, But uh, it seems as though... In previous generations, there has been the tendency to sort of berate the generation coming up ahead of it or the next two generations coming up or whatever. Like, I know. Or try um, and make it conform. Yeah. Like, this is who we are. This is how we're supposed to be. Right. And it seems as though maybe, maybe it's our generation that has created the shift. Maybe it's Gen X that has created the shift. I don't know. I don't know where it started. Um, but it seems as though millennial parents are allowing more truth and authenticity to exist in their children. And so Gen Z, total different, total different ballgame in terms of like coming up and being accepted into society as a generation on their own and being celebrated for that. Is Finn part of Gen Z or is he younger than that? I don't know where that stops. I have no idea. 
but I have no idea what those uh, once once you get past millennial i don't even know where millennial stop because i know that i'm technically that's why i'm a zennial because i'm yeah. between them both but i don't even know i think millennial stops around like 95 or something like that like 80 to 95 like that basically 15 years um yeah i don't know but I'll I don't know where up. I don't know where Gen Z stops. But anyway, like it seems as though younger parents, our generation of parents, and may, maybe some Gen X parents too. I'm I'm not going to count them out. Um, are allowing their children to be more of who they are. Whereas I don't, I can't really speak to say, um, my mother's upbringing was anything in particular because she was raised by her grandparents so there was a generational skip there yeah that's already a different yeah. like climate anyway yes because yeah. i i mean the people i know i know a few different um people kids currently and um friends that also were raised primarily by grandparents as well and so yeah once again that is a whole nother type of concept of fostering what they think it should be or fostering what is happening in the world type of thing mm -hmm. but it it does it just feels like i mean i remember having listening to my mom talk about like when you know elvis and the beatles stuff was like happening and how just completely irate it made the older generation yeah. at, these, at the youth, like why, ah, you know what I mean? It was just so interesting to listen to some of that. And I think about it now and yeah, like I know parents and I'm like, I maybe don't get some of like, I don't, I don't get some of the music. My son likes to dance to video game music, like music from video games. I don't get it, but I'm not like, Mad you shouldn't listen to that. Like you can't, you know, I'm just like, yeah. Hey, put your headphones in or turn it down. Cause I don't feel like being in a video game right now. You yeah. go be in your own video game, <laughs> but like, and I don't know how thing. you're allowing how him to embrace him. You're allowing him to embrace who he is fully while upholding your own boundaries, which is like, fuck boundaries was, I didn't even know what that word meant until like, same, same, <laughs> same. I learned boundaries when I learned um, domestic violence training and such. That's when I started learning boundaries. And then I realized it's not even about just having healthy relationships and boundaries. Boundaries can exist within yourself for yourself. Yeah. And having that boundary um, is something awesome as well. And so I, I don't know if everybody has the same, like, these kids are going to be completely different. But I do feel that a lot of the people that I know that are, you know, around our age do at least have, not only are these, these kids, the, these kids are going to be different, but it's in a hopeful way. Yeah. It's and not in a shaming thing, way. That's the thing that I think is new. And, and maybe, maybe hope with the next generation is a common thing. I don't know. Fuck. I've never been an adult before. You know, like this is my first time. <laughs> I know. And you know, if there was a trial period, it probably would be lovely because I'm not <laughs> sure how well I'm doing at it, but I'm doing my best and we're just going to see what happens in the end. But yeah, I, I definitely am, am hopeful and I'm excited to see 
I'm excited to see what the world becomes when Gen Z is in charge. And well, even when even when we're in charge, honestly, because like we ain't in charge yet. It's all a bunch of like boomers that are still in charge. So we're which we're is boggling, getting... but okay, yes. You're yeah. correct. We're we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, but when Gen Z is in charge, I'm really excited to see what the world looks like at that point. And of course, none of this is across the board. There are people on the opposite side of the political spectrum who exist in all demographics and all age ranges and what the fuck ever. But they're not who I'm talking about. <laughs> they're also not who I'm currently surrounded by and what I'm currently experiencing for the most part, too. Yeah, so, right. like, you know, I'm fully aware I'm speaking with, within my own bubble and my own privilege. But I'm just seeing so much that seems brand new and different. Mm -hmm. It seems in the precipice. Really in a really exciting way. We're like Lewis and Clark. I don't know that I want to be just kidding. I don't know that that's the, that's the comparison I want to be associated with. Right. <laughs> Except we're like Lewis and Clark. If they went and they met all of the indigenous folks and were like, you guys are amazing. Keep doing your shit. Thanks for letting us visit. Yeah. And then like kept things the way they and were. And they're just like, like you know, their own went shit. back home. <laughs> that's, that's our version, right? That's the new retelling. <laughs> that one I like. Yes. Okay. Uh, that's funny. That's funny. Um, I like this. I like where this conversation has gone. I a hundred percent did not expect for us to touch on all of the topics we have, but I never have an expectation in going into a conversation with you. It's always delightful and goes a million places. So <laughs> that's the only way I know how. <laughs> Uh, all right. I have to get on another call for my sales soiree, in fact, um, soon. However, I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for being part of this journey with me. I love you too. Happy Thank tomorrow. you for having me. Oh my gosh. I will ho probably, hopefully, and in all other ways, see you tomorrow. Yes. Yes. Fingers crossed. I've been trying to make this happen for ages. No right. broken legs in the next 24 hours. So we can see each other. <laughs> oh, let's. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're seeing each other tomorrow. I love Yay! you. Yay. <laughs> Bye. Creating and upholding new definitions for business, entrepreneurship, and success that aren't dripping with oppression, that's what I'm doing for myself, what I've helped hundreds of other women do, and what I'm here to help you do. If you're into it, there are two ways to currently work with me. One, the Rexy Collective. It's my membership program with community support, monthly group coaching, celebration, and integrated book club. It's 10 bucks a month, about the price of your favorite streaming service, but with way more benefits for your life and business. And two, Pressure Point. This is my signature year-long deep dive for direct sales teams that will address all the patriarchal bullshit holding you and your team members back in life and business while building self-trust and trust amongst one another with proven transformational success. This program is unmatched. 
And I do open the doors for the non-direct sales public with an equitable pricing structure once a year. I also reserve a handful of one-to-one -one coaching spots for which I currently have a wait list and I occasionally do six-week soirees, which you may want in on. To be the first to know when my next one-to-one -one spot opens up and get the inside scoop for everything I offer, sign up for my email list at pressurepointcoaching.com. And hey, if you like what you're hearing here on the pod, rate, review, and tell a friend.